everybody. This is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. And welcome to the Invested Podcast, where we Yay. are disassembling the the this the simple process of investing. <laughs> We're deconstructing it. We're Ooh. peeling the onion. Oh, that is true. That's yeah, it's if you need it's an quite image a large onion. That's a good one. <laughs> and it tastes bad unless you cook it right question mark Hmm. (laughs) pushing the metaphor there's something there (laughs) so charlie munger has said i think with his tongue in cheek that you know this is so simple that anybody can do it um and what would professors have to talk about for the entire semester if all you needed to know was you just need to find a business you understand it's got a durable competitive advantage and it's got good management and you buy it on sale that's That's it that's the whole thing and here we are seven years later a <laughs> hundred years later <laughs> yeah, it feels like and we've been we've been we we replayed a couple of of uh episodes about speculation versus investing and it's going to be kind of fun today to dive in i think danielle mm-hmm. we should dive into what we've been threatening to do for a while now is to talk about penny stocks. Yeah, well, we talked about penny stocks back, I think you were like, maybe your eye was hurting you. So it's, I think you can be forgiven for not remembering. But we talked about it for one episode. So we got kind of the basics of like, what they are. Oh, yeah. And I was going to watch Wolf of Wall Street. And I forgot. By the way, I told Nuno about that. And now every time he's like, should we watch Wolf of Wall Street? And it just sounds really intense. But it's Good. I'll try it at some point anyway. So yeah, so we're going to continue talking about penny stocks because the whole point of this was, are they maybe good ways for small investors like us to find a great company more towards the beginning? Well, interesting, because just to, (laughs) to quickly recap, Okay. Um, the the level of price movement, volatility, how far the price can move around on penny stocks is very high. Yeah, move a lot as we we did discuss this. We did discuss that. Yeah, there is a lot less financial data available because they don't have to produce the financial data, which is why right. they're penny stocks in the first place. Right. Um, and because of that, you got guys like the Wolf of Wall Street who can manipulate with what are called boiler room tactics, manipulate the price. And what the game is, is they'll buy quietly and slowly buy up a position in a small penny stock company. And then they'll get their salespeople on the phone and just call cold call potential investors. Anybody that ever signed a card that said, I'm interested in learning about penny stocks or something like that. They'll cold call you and pitch this company as yeah. being the next greatest thing. And as those clients start to buy in, the price will, because of this high volatility, the price will move up aggressively. And I think we talked a little bit about one that I did, right? Where it moved yes. up quite a lot. And, um, and then that encourages the next phone call to promote how much this price has moved already and you're going to miss out if you don't jump in on it. And then the boiler room people who own some of the stock start to sell it to their own clients. And of course, this is all completely illegal. Mm -hmm. You can't do that. 
but they do it and they're hard to catch and they just move the boiler room when they start to feel pressure. They'll just move to a different phone number, move to a different city. Okay. They'll just just move around and call it something new. And it makes it very hard for the regulators to track them down because nobody, you know, they don't have names per se. Is that like, because we talked about this in the 80s and that's sort of the time period I think of when you talk about this stuff. Is this, it can't be happening that much anymore. Oh, I think it's pretty... You think Absolutely. people are getting phone calls? Oh, yeah. I mean, legitimate stock sales people call, cold call people all the time from Morgan Stanley and from Merrill Lynch and from all these brokerage companies. Absolutely. Right. They're calling people to get them to invest in something and try to bring their, you know, give them an idea so they can open the door to bring in their capital in under, under management. So, hmm. yeah. And, and by the way, it, it's this area of the market, this penny stock area, has such a wide gap between what someone is offering to take in exchange for their stock and what someone's willing to pay. This yeah. huge gap is mm-hmm. called the bid ask. Uh, and it it is, the broker gets to take the difference. And so if there's a really wide gap, the broker can make a lot of money. It doesn't You don't have to spend a lot of money for the broker to make a lot of money. And so it's just attractive for all those reasons. And, you know, the main thing is if you want to avoid getting scammed, you know, that you, you just have, you could legitimately get a phone call about a hot company. Absolutely. 100%. In yeah. Fact, what was the name of that shoe company that um, Wolf Tom's. of Wall Street? Oh. No, it was being promoted. And they're still around. I mean, they took them public. So they're fully legitimate public offering on a fully legitimate company that is still absolutely going. And um, so if, if you don't want to just assume that any phone call that you get about buying a stock is necessarily a scam. But you just want to be able to do a few things on your own. You want to be able to understand the business and you want to know that it's got some sort of a a moat to it and you want to understand something about the management team. In other words, you want to do the same thing for a penny stock that you would be doing for, you know, um, any stock. Well, here's what I was kind of hoping when I was thinking there's no way people are getting phone calls about stocks anymore is maybe the, because of how much more information we, the small investor have now compared to let's say 30 years ago when this stuff was happening a lot more. Um, and because of the what I had thought was maybe less direct sales, but maybe the same, uh, perhaps the market of these smaller, lower price stocks would be more reliable than it used to be 30 years ago. I'm not saying it's reliable, full stop, but maybe it's more reliable. Do you have any thoughts about that? What do you think? True, I think untrue? No, I think that's probably true. Um, the, 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 when we say more reliable, I think it just means that there's, like you say, there's more sources of information. Yeah, that's what I mean. people are more educated about it. But the problem is that the stocks themselves are pretty shaky, a lot of them. Like the companies themselves. The companies themselves, yeah. Okay. So that hasn't changed much at all. These yeah, are, fair. Yeah, pretty much always pretty shaky companies that are okay. out there, very small, um, and there's you know possibility of finding a gold mine out there for sure, 
at a really cheap price. But let's just say that it wouldn't be, you wouldn't expect to be able to do that as a novice. In other, in other words, some people go to penny stocks because they think it's easier or because they think it's, there's not so many professionals who are in there mm-hmm. looking at these companies and therefore an amateur could do better. Mm-hmm. And in, in a sort of a weird way, that's true. Um, these are not covered companies by big Wall Street firms. And therefore there can be... When you say uh, covered, you mean there's no analyst on There's them? no analyst covering them, right? Um, and as a result, there can be a vast error in pricing in the market. Hmm. So hmm. yeah, definitely is possible. That's quite and interesting. Pro- and, and more possible than on the major market. Very unusual to have a major error in pricing on the main market. And mm-hmm. we look for those errors, right? In fact, we look for events which create the error. Mm-hmm. And a, an event that's not terminal or an event that's clearly not going to be a problem in a year or two is enough in many cases um, for the big guys on Wall Street to dump the stock, which in mm-hmm. the long run will turn out to be a mistake, right? Um, man, we just finished up a really successful um, trade on Activision. Hmm. And it's it was so fascinating to us to watch how the market treated this when Microsoft decided they would acquire the company. Um, the price that they were going to buy it at was $95 a share. And when they made the offer, I think it was around $60 a share. Hmm. And the price you would think would go to $95 a share. I mean, that's what Microsoft's going to pay for it. But yeah. it didn't. It didn't huh. it, because there was FTC regulators getting oh, into it. Oh, because people weren't sure it would actually go through. They weren't sure it would close, you know, yeah. so it sort of hung out in that middle price zone, which is really interesting mm-hmm. for us to watch that because if Microsoft was right that it's worth $95 a share or the market was right that it was worth $60 a share, why is the price at 80 or 75 I mean, that's in the middle. It can't, it's wrong no matter what. You follow I, me? I, I, I wouldn't put it, that's so interesting you use those words. I wouldn't put it either way. I don't think the market thinks it's worth six, oh, maybe the maybe you could say the market thinks it's worth. Does Microsoft think it's worth 95? I don't know, but that's what oh. they made the deal at, right? Like that's maybe the lowest price they could pay and they thought it was worth 150 and they were really excited to get it at 95 or maybe they thought it was worth 80 and they decided to overpay because they just really wanted to acquire it like there's a lot of reasons that you would end up at a price um so does it really matter what anybody thinks it's worth when what what anybody buying a stock in the middle of an acquisition is doing is making zero comment on its value, but essentially making a short-term play during the transaction. What? No. I mean, there are a lot of people doing exactly what you just said. They have no, there's no comment on the value, but for us, absolutely. It was a comment on the value. In other words, we wanted to buy the stock at 50 because we think it was worth 100. So when Microsoft came in and offered 95, we would, we were waiting for it to drop a few more points to start acquiring it. Not, Microsoft paid 95 and we just looked at each other and went, well, okay, we kind of nailed that one. Nice. Right? Cause, yeah, that's cool. Because they probably thought it was worth more than 95. I'm sure they did, mm-hmm. um, as you were saying. 
but when the price is floating around at $75 a share, we have a very strong uh, view of value there. And mm -hmm. so our view was we can buy this up at 75. If it, the deal doesn't go through, it may drop to 60, but we're a buyer down in that range, 100%. We wanna buy more. Got it, got it. So in the situation you're talking about, you're not a short-term playing the acquisition. Mm. You're saying whichever outcome happens, I'm happy. Exactly. And that's like the best anti-fragile investing ever. That was totally fun. We ended up with something like 18% of our capital in that one trade. <laughs> it was like this, it, and we started selling calls. I know we didn't talk much about options trading, but we started selling calls on this at 95 and the market was very active. Now think about this for a second. Cause yeah, cause nobody's sure what's going to happen. So there's Microsoft. Of, so there's quote unquote risk according to the market, right? Well, it's fascinating because if the deal closes at 95, then your option to buy it at 95 is just going to give us what we were going to get anyway. Mm -hmm. Right. Except you're paying us more money to do that. Mm -hmm. So we sold first, we bought all these shares knowing it's very likely we were going to get bought out at 95. And then we sold call options on all of them hmm. at 95 and collected a load of money per share. It was because we sold these really long-term options way, 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 way past the time period when the deal was supposed to close. Mm. So why would anybody do that? Why would anybody pay? I think those were going for like $4 or something. They were going a lot. Why would somebody pay an extra $4 in order to be able to buy the stock at 95 if Microsoft's going to buy it at 95 and you're going to get, you won't even get the stock. You just... You get the stock at 95 and sell it to Microsoft for 95 and lose $4 a share. How crazy is that? Here's how crazy it is. While this deal was being regulated, Activision continued to grow and became worth more and more as time went along. As mm -hmm. a result, these options traders were speculating that if the deal fell through, the price of Activision wasn't going to 60. It was going to 120. It would pop up. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. That's so wow, cool. Huh? That's so that interesting. Cool? Yeah. yeah. So so we looked at this and said, all right, do we want to speculate on this thing going to 120 by owning call options? Or do we want to be the casino and let these guys speculate, pay us a lot of money, reduce our basis in the in the stock and increase our rate of return over the time period that we own it? And we decided to go that way. So someday we need to talk well, about options so because you can do a lot with them. If you hadn't, uh, if the deal had, wait, so the deal went through, right? Deal went through. I don't know anything about this. A couple so days the deal ago. went through. Okay. Yep. Um, if it had not, then what? You would then. have been... Well, we would have seen where the price went, I suppose. Oh, well, you had these options for way out in the future, so you didn't actually have to do anything for a while. Gotcha. Right. We didn't have to do anything for a while. The yeah. deal doesn't go through, then it would depend the value of the option that we owned. Yeah. The cost okay. of it to buy it I was back thinking you had something timed around around the time of the transaction, no. but no, you said it was way out. 
Yeah. We, we like to do them. If we're going to do something like that, we'll do it really long term and collect as much money as we can. Yeah. Yeah. Because effectively what you're selling when you sell an option is you're selling time, selling mm-hmm. somebody the right to do something over a long period of time and they'll pay more for more time. So mm-hmm. we sold them as much time as we could. So yeah, that, it was, it's just fun because you can, you can take something that's speculative and reevaluate it based on the value of the business and suddenly it's nothing, nothing speculative about it at all. It was a lock. We were perfectly content to own that company. As long as we and, uh, put it like this, it wasn't speculative as long as we were content to own the company. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's the key. So going back to penny stocks, same thing. So okay, tell me it, more about that. You, same as thing. As long as you can uh, imagine a penny stock, extremely volatile price can be moving all over the place. Well, as long as you're very confident in owning the company long term. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. The speculation yes. goes away. Yeah, got it. So it'd be no more speculation. But that's not speculation than, at all. That's just right. ignoring just the price. So it'd be like, let's say, how speculative would it be for it if if uh, let's say Chick-fil-A was gonna do franchises, which they don't. But if they were, yeah. Do you have Chick-fil-A in Switzerland? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're missing out so much on such horrible for you fast food. It's so good. <laughs> When I first came to the South, I'd never eaten Chick-fil-A and somebody handed me one. We went in and got one. And here's this two buns with a slice of pickle and a and a chicken, you know, fried chicken mm-hmm. in the middle. And I'm like, that's it. There's no mayo. There's no ketchup. There's no this. There's Which, of course, you can get, but they don't ship it like that. It's like comes out pretty much dry. I've gotten. So that's all I want. Just just like that. They nailed it. Whatever they did there. But in Chick-fil-A is the most profitable, has the highest revenue per day of any fast food place by far. Yeah. And, and they don't franchise famously. And they don't franchise. So if you were to get a franchise magically, how much risk would you be taking in that business? And the answer is just how well can you run it? Yeah. yeah. And chances are that they're not going to let you have one unless you can run it well and they can you can demonstrate that. I've got a good friend of mine that that um, I think we've talked about him before, Brent, when I, was, when I was playing polo a few years ago, owns a bunch of uh, Domino's Pizza franchises. Oh, yeah. I remember Remember him? him? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, if I were to own a Domino for each Domino's Pizza franchise, it would be very risky for me because I don't know anything about it. I and know. So I probably, remember when we were first right? talking about... Uh, how I needed to find another source of income and you were like, you could own a Domino's pizza franchise. (laughs) I was like, I can't think of a way for me to lose money faster than (laughs) doing something I have no clue about and zero experience in. Think about what we're saying here. That's exactly what we need to think about in terms of buying any kind of a stock, but particularly a penny stock because you need, like, you think about how much risk you'd be taking by going out and, and owning a franchise in Domino's without ever having worked there, without ever gone in their management program, without ever done anything like that, without knowing what the pitfalls I are mean, of hiring clearly people. Clearly, there's methods because there's plenty of ex football players who bought various franchises of various things and had no experience, let's assume, in fast food service. But 
there's a i'm sure like education but yeah you yeah gotta, you gotta i mean it. those are good examples and forrest <laughs> gump ran a really good shrimp company so yeah and, <laughs> <laughs> i don't know that that would be where i'd point but i i do have actually i do have a number of friends who have gotten in the franchise business another one was or subway in denver What's his name? Who's that guy? Who's the famous Denver football John player? John Elway owns Cars. this car dealership like behemoth across Denver yes. and the Denver area like John Elway car. Now, I don't think John Elway was a car dealership expert before he got into that business. But there are ways, <laughs> including hiring somebody who is the expert on what to yeah. do. Which, Okay. To stay within the confines of our of our world here, that is exactly what we do when we own a business. We have effectively hired the CEO, yes, and oh, the I board love of that. directors, yes, to exactly. run this thing for us. Mm-hmm. Which is why understanding who your management team is is pretty damned important. They are going to be John Elway's management team and run his car dealership, and he's got to have a good one. And much as we have discussed many times, we have to think about the business as though our name is on the front door of that business. Now, John Elway's name was is literally on the front door of that business. And what have you ever said it just that way before? Because yeah, brilliant. Our name is on the front door. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Of course. And um, I like that. I mean, having lived in Denver, I can tell you that nobody thinks John Elway is a car dealership expert. What everybody thinks is John Elway's a trustworthy dude who won a lot of football games. So probably he's not going to cheat me because that would make him look bad. And that is indeed what his whole car dealership reputation rests on is like they give you a fair price and don't cheat you. And it works. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so. Yeah, it is like having the name on the front door. I, I think there's so many parallels to that. If you just, guys, you just keep remembering that you're owning a business. That is just Ben Graham's lightning bolt insight back in early 1930s. I mean, the problem with it and the reason that we all go like, yikes, is because it's such a high bar. Like, John Elway's got one of those. You know, maybe he has other businesses. I actually don't know. But he has one that I know about that's famous. It's hard to do that over and over and over. And I think that's why we keep, and every time you introduce the show every day, it's it's simple but not easy. That's, it's not easy to, well, to be the way that we're talking knowledgeable. About the way we're talking about doing it is definitely not easy. You have to understand the business very well. Yeah. And I think it's just harder in penny stocks. So why is why why do people do penny stocks, really? I mean, if you think about less information, harder to know. Why I'll do you tell think you why. Do it? Okay, it's because away. when you're somebody who has a small pot of money, mm-hmm. let's say I have $100, a lot of literal one stocks are not accessible to me they cost more than a hundred dollars and when you start to realize oh there's these like smaller companies maybe i can own 10 shares of this stock and each one's let's say nine bucks and i have money left over that starts to sound and feel more accessible 
I also think there's that from like a different sideways perspective is that feeling that we've talked about already of I can get in earlier. I could do a lot better on this company with this money, with this investment than owning, I don't know, whatever company that's been around for 50 years and everybody's oh, already made their money on it. Definitely want so to I talk think it's about kind of those two, two. So those two things. So first one, yeah. first one is that you can get more shares mm-hmm. because it's well, or, or you can get any shares. You can get some shares. There's, there's, that's a real thing, and with, I've experienced with real it. Small amounts of money, you can get some yeah. shares. And second, that it could it could really take off. You can get in early, and it could take off. So remember those two things, because those are not why most people are doing it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me why then. <laughs> they, it's a great place to gamble. Oh, stop it! No, what? really. This is why people are in penny stocks, because they can see the stock move, triple your money in a matter of days. I mean, yeah, if, if you're buying a thing at ten true. cents and it goes to thirty cents, you've just tripled your money, and it could do that in hours. I've, I definitely have day trader friends who love playing that game um god very just crazy very very relate to that oh man and you got it you can get eaten up with commissions there's a million things that can go wrong but that's why most people do it they're gambling and it's a great gambling casino because it's so volatile and if you get in on the right side of things you can really make a lot of money and i'm telling you it's crazy people make up rumors and start the rumors out into the market to get the thing moving and then they bail it's well that's real that's real by the way speaking of rumors maybe i'm not totally sure i believe that the phone calls are still happening but the rumors are more 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 than you can even imagine all over the internet that yeah. is a rumor spreader in a way that sounds like truth on a level that has never existed before. And for something like, yeah, like stocks, companies, new things coming up, crypto, um, s- things that are have sort of spurious information that sounds cool, those things take off on the internet and can make something blow. I, I mean... You know that uh, oh, yeah. Reddit, uh, I'm like blanking on my words, but remember how there was that huge thing that happened where the Reddit community bought yeah, the GameStop some and... GameStop, thank you. Yeah. So now if you go to Wall Street Bets, I don't know if it still exists, it might still exist or it might not, but basically that subreddit has splintered off into a bunch of other subreddits now the original one is not what it used to be and yet i think there are people trying to make it seem like it's the same thing as what it used to be and now there's like closed private communities for the people who were originally part of that whole thing and then there's all these other ones now that are specifically for like certain kinds of stocks or companies or crypto if you think about it how how different is a reddit bulletin board than a boiler room i mean precisely that's what i'm saying I don't believe the phone calls are such a big deal, but I think the, the, the internet rumor boards and there's many places besides Reddit are a big deal. And I think hearing your experience about how you, 
you and one other person shoved up that stock price on whatever penny stock that was that you bought. Yeah. Um, you can only imagine what, say, like 30 people could do, which is such a small number. Oh, or yeah. 200. Like, it's just oh, people exactly. can completely change so, a so given the bulletin stock's boards are, are, trajectory. They may have re- replaced to a large degree the, the, the telephone calls, but they haven't replaced it entirely. There's just a um, international... Uh, scam that just got shut down. They scammed investors out of a billion dollars. What's that one? With, it came out of Australia, I think. It it was, uh, yeah, they just got arrested in May. 80 people were arrested for this thing. Oh my gosh. They've been operating since 2008, some of them. And they finally, finally got What, they're selling shut them down. fake stocks or something? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Don't buy stocks so, over yeah. the phone, people. Anybody yeah, listening kinda, to this is smart enough to not do that. <laughs> I mean, come on. They don't need us to tell them that. But like, oh, I hate hearing those stories. But let's, let's, let me come back to the two things that you said are why people are doing this, which okay. a number of people are. Um, all right. What was the first one again? The first one is that you can actually purchase shares of stock um, that are within the, the amount of money that you have. Right. So, and I think people get a little bit fooled by this. In other words, for us, a diversified portfolio is not what we're after, but we do want more than one stock, right? Mm-hmm. We, some degree of spreading it around. So we, we're looking at between 10 and 20% in any one company kind of mm-hmm. thing. So we're looking at five to 10 companies. And if you have a hundred dollars, then and you want ten companies, you're going to be restricted to stocks that are at ten dollars a share. Yeah. <clears throat> that said, well, less it doesn't matter if you buy a if you buy a hundred shares or a thousand shares at ten cents or one share at ten dollars. It's the no, identical same thing. It doesn't, but you can't buy a share of Amazon. That's that's my point. Right, but you, I don't think you can buy a share of Amazon on the penny stocks either. No, not from penny <laughs> so, stocks. <laughs> the point being, my the point quality, is, if you have a hundred dollars, there's yeah, no point in thinking about Amazon. Companies. Yeah, but you got you got to think. Okay, those are going to be theoretically out of your price range. Now, it's only theoretical because a number of brokerages are selling partial shares. I know. Yeah. So I don't think that's a really true thing anymore. It used to be much more important when, you know, you you couldn't get the shares because you had to buy 100 shares minimum or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And certainly the option market is still like that. But and now I don't think there's the kind of restrictions that, that used to be there almost on any stocks. Um, that maybe you can't buy Berkshire or something. But I think people are even splitting that up at the brokerage site because there's so many people who want $100 worth of stock and they want to diversify yeah. it across five or 10 things. I just want to explain why I'm hemming and hawing about that a little. It's because when you buy those partial shares, like, yes, I get that it makes it accessible and I'm not totally opposed to it, but you're, you don't actually own that share. It's divided up at the brokerage level and there's an intermediary that's making that happen. (laughs) And so it, it gives me the, the X basically because I feel like at some point somebody's gonna get shafted over those things and it's gonna be somebody who didn't have a lot of money invested and that's just gonna really be terrible so 
that's why I'm like, ah, I just don't love it. But I, I, I do get the point that it makes those bigger, higher priced shares more accessible, which and honestly, I think, thing. I think if you want to have a lot of fun playing around penny stocks with your hundred dollars could be really entertaining. Um, but I think if you really want to invest, I guess, shoot, you know, let me, let me back up a step. If I had a hundred dollars, I probably would be more interested in penny stocks. than. Well, I this is now. where we started this whole because, thing. This was our penny because, stock series. Yeah. Simply because of the volatility might mean that I could get a really large return for my money. And therein was my second reason. But, yes. oh my gosh, I'm. I'm gambling, and I have to tell you, you have to. No, but you said we started this with you saying it could be a great place for people starting out. True, true. Mm. If but so, basically, what be I take better. from this is we have made it to the end of another episode. Okay, fair. Starting enough. still at the beginning of where we <laughs> first so began. Next time, in a circular fashion. Where do you want to start? <laughs> next time. <laughs> We're well, get at it. where I want to start is that you had told me that you had this like perfect place to start last time. Did we start there? Oh, yeah. Yeah, kind of. Okay. All right. So we've we've done that. <laughs> um, and, and we've already talked about how you can go on websites like Interactive Brokers and get on to the penny stocks. Right. We did talk. About yeah. That. But what I would like to know is like, how can this be a long-term investor, good choice. Like we've talked now greatly about the pitfalls and the dangers and how it's speculative and the prices and da 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 da. So is it like all bad? Because then why are we talking about this? I hope that there's a, a part of it that's not all bad. No, no, there. Well, I'm gonna tell you guys next time. When we get together, I'll tell you how you get in here. And find penny stocks. Okay. Next and, time. And, and how to look at them on the pink sheets. Great tease. Okay. Okay. Good. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> time we'll to go talk to you next time. Yeah, time to go ponder. All, All right. right. See you Bye. Later. Hi, guys. Thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information or to listen to additional episodes, visit our website at investedpodcast.com and sign up for my virtual workshop right there. Spots are definitely limited for this event. I'm not kidding. They really are. They sell out very quickly. So everything discussed on this podcast, by the way, is either my opinion or it's Danielle's opinion. And I'm really important. It's not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your financial advisor nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. So remember that. You're on your own here. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I really hope you enjoyed it.